Are you ready for this? Welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan. I'm Corey. I'm Logan. And we are here to go on the journey of life and leadership growth with you. Welcome to the Principles Podcast. Welcome back to Principles with Corey and Logan, guys. Super excited about our conversation today. Uh, I've got a new friend, Eric Holtzclaw, that's going to be on with us, and he describes himself as a serial entrepreneur, my kind of guy. And uh, Eric, welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan. Thanks so much for having me. And and serial, sometimes parallel. Sometimes I got a couple going on at the same time. So. <laughs> but definitely uh, can't seem to get myself out of that that category of entrepreneurship and starting something new. It just kind of accidentally happens at times. Absolutely. And and just a kind of way of introducing you to, to our audience, um, Eric. Uh, uh, Eric is the chief strategist and dojo master at Liger, where he is the resident expert in guiding businesses to find their identities. I mean, that is super important and their core values, crafting their vision and establishing their brand. He is a serial entrepreneur. He also has a podcast called The Claw, where he interviews business owners and entrepreneurs. He's an author, he's a speaker, and does a lot of amazing things around the world, uh, I'm sure. And so, Eric, that, that's kind of where you're at now. Would love for you to take us on the journey, like um, take us from, from where you were to how did you get to being a serial entrepreneur, even jumping even into business? So at the age of five, I either wanted to be president of the United States or I wanted to work for IBM because I live in Atlanta. And back in the day, IBM was the company to work for. And so I crafted much of my sort of early life all the way to even the college I chose to end up at IBM. So I was at IBM at the age of 18. So I was working for IBM as a co-op and you know I would go to school one quarter, be at IBM the next. And what I found when I got to IBM is it was actually maybe a little too boring for me. So there was a lot of, you know, bureaucracy and, you know, shift shift schedules and all that kind of thing. And at that time, uh, Atlanta had a lot of people, they were doing layoffs. IBM was laying people off, but they were laying them off when they were very young and they were giving them way too much money. So we ended up creating this like startup economy here in the Atlanta area. And I went to work for a startup that had been started by a bunch of ex-IBMers. In fact, there were 40 people in the company, 30 of them had worked for IBM, and the other 10 were from other places. And at that point, I I met a guy who was an entrepreneur, and he and I hit it off, and I basically followed him from company to company, learning how to do that, and have then done several since then on my own. So I tell people in the short story that I'm a recovering technologist. So early in my career, I ran development shops and technology departments and things like that. I did a brief stint in sales for some Silicon Valley-based companies, and then I started and owned a research company for about 10 years, sold that in 2012, and swore I would never start another company. So I was doing operational work for entrepreneurs who were trying to scale their business. So I basically was like, hey, you know, I'm just going to be a a contractor. I'm going to work with them, be their kind of incremental COO, because I know how to either run a business or to... um, like lead it or how to like make it work better. Right. And so when I was in these businesses, they would look at me and they're like, Hey, so you're running operations for us, but we also need someone to run our marketing department. And since marketing is primarily technology and understanding the user. So if my background was technology and I had a research background, I was like, yeah, I can do marketing. That'd be great. 
And so I would get their operations running and they wouldn't need me to do that any longer, but they would leave me with their marketing department. And so at some point I had like six, six companies and I was running six companies, marketing departments. And I have a, someone who's worked for me for years. She's worked for me like 10 years. And I was in the car headed home one night. I was telling her I was about to sign another contract to do operational work. And she's like, you do realize that you do not have a consultancy anymore. This is a company. She's like, you're just calling it that. She's like, if you were advising yourself, you tell yourself like, you have like six jobs. This is ridiculous. And so I ended up merging my business with another business that was doing most of my execution, which is how we ended up naming it Liger. And then I now own a marketing firm. <laughs> so some people have an accidental kid. I had an accidental company. And so yeah. I've been running this one for the past five years. And of course, it's been, as we all know, a very challenging period of time to run a company. Uh, so I think my background has been good for that because I took businesses through the dot bomb and through the 9-11 period of time and then what happened in 2008 and all those types of things. So getting it through the pandemic and what we've seen from a recessionary period takes a little bit of uh, maneuvering and uh, entrepreneurs know how to maneuver. So, yeah. You, you said something I thought was really interesting. You said you sold your business. And I ain't going to do that again. Uh, yeah. Curious, what what caused you to say that? I mean, if you've done a business for a while, what what I had is I had a project-based business and part of the thing that wasn't, um, uh, what I didn't like about it is we would do projects. We did 250 to 300 research projects a year. And so a client would bring us something that wasn't working. We would go do the research and tell them how to fix it. And then we didn't know whether or not they had taken our advice. So it's like being a doctor and people, somebody comes in and they're like, hey, I feel sick. And they leave and you're like, well, I don't know if that person died or if they made it or whatever. And so that wasn't very satisfying for me. And so by getting back into that operational work, and it's funny because I, I lead organizations, but I'm also really okay with being the right hand to a leader. So I was like, if I could just get back into the right hand piece, I did, to be completely perfectly honest with you, hope that I'd find a business that the leader wanted to hand me. So I didn't want to start one from ground zero. I've done that way too many times. I was like, I want something that's just like, you know, profitable, but not progressing. And uh, so my attempt was like, okay, well, I'll come in operationally. Maybe the leader doesn't want to lead it. And I'll take, take the business and move it to its next level versus starting at a cold start. And so um, I kind of did that because like I ended up with like all these different clients I was working with. So I sort of built this thing. But, you know, running a staff of people is not for the faint of heart. Making payroll every two weeks is not for the faint of heart. Having the world shut down at the beginning of March and losing half your portfolio is not for the faint of heart. And so it's it's a harder job than I think people think it is. And it could be far better just to be a consultant to some organizations. But in that case, you may not be building anything that you can then pass on from a legacy perspective. So I've worked very hard for Liger to be a legacy brand that gets that lives beyond me, that's you know built more like an accounting firm or a law firm. And we do work in a recurring model. So we have retained business with our clients. So I don't think I fully answered your question. Um, I think I was burned out on continuing to see problems over and over again and knowing what needed to be done and not being in a position to fix it. Yeah. And I didn't want to start something fresh. Yeah. 
Well, I I think you kind of did because it kind of goes before we even press the record button. You and I were talking about I like entrepreneurship and but but the reality of it is that it's not easy. And and you kind of talked about it being the new rock star thing. Well, just go start your business. And uh, it sounds good. It's shiny and it's flashy. But there's a lot of work involved. Right. And Yeah. uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of work with it and there's a lot of stick to it. Yeah. Right. And so, and I societally, and I actually think this problem gets worse uh, now that we have things like AI that can instantly answer a question for you, or you can have your grocery show up at your house. Like we are such a, all of a sudden in the moment organ, you know, company or sorry, people. And a company is not that it takes months and months and months and months. And you have no idea if some of the things that you're doing are going to work. And then all of a sudden they do. And you're like, okay, that was great. Or they don't. And you fail forward. Like you've learned what the next thing is. And we don't like to be uncomfortable. People just don't like to be uncomfortable. They like, you know, and it does take a sort of, you know, either a background or a level of tenacity, the, you know, willing to get up every single day and do the thing. And that's just, it's, it's hard. And, um, not everyone's built for it. And that's part of why it, it doesn't work. And they typically get to a point where they, I think they give up a little t- too soon. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I, I tried that one thing and it didn't work. And it's like, yeah, but it might take you 18 months to know if it works. So, yeah. well, and, 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 and I think that's what somebody like you who have, who has an expertise in something like that. And that was, I was going to ask you this because part of your story, you said you kind of like to come in once it's got up off the ground, it's a little bit profitable. I, I love the startup, right? I love the, the kind of the, the launch, but then myself, and then I talked to a lot of other entrepreneurs that kind of hit that point, like what you're talking about of, Hey, it's, it's good, but like, there's a ceiling here that I need to break through. And if, if there's somebody listening, that seems to be in that position where, you know what, I've got it to a certain point, but I keep, Hey, we keep getting the same results. or keep getting the same revenue. Like we're, we're not hitting that growth. Uh, any any advice from your perspective for them to break that glass ceiling to get to that next level? Yes, absolutely. So the I'm an op, I love operations. Like I'm at, at my heart is operational. Like how do I touch something once and never again? And so part of the reason I I've done so many startups where I was employee number one, and you have to build everything and build everything. And I'm like I want to have part of it built and then fine tune it. So it's about fine tuning. And when I was doing the operational work, I was introduced to a thing called EOS, which yeah. is yep. the book Traction. And so I implemented EOS at a lot of the companies I was working with, and it made such a dramatic improvement in the way that they looked at their company organizationally, their accountability chart, how they established rocks. You can also tell whether or not the founder really wants to scale their business or they're just saying they want to, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, and what happens is founders get caught up in like, well, if I do this and I'm not the guy who does X thing within the business, well, then what do I do? Right. So like they, they end up, it's, they, they fail because they don't know what their next role is. Right. And so we use EOS in our organization. I'm the visionary and I have an integrator and we have an accountability chart and directors and people underneath it and they all carry rocks and, my job is to move the business forward, to think about what's going to happen next, the next six months. And then I have an integrator who deals with all the, and I'm not a great, 
I'm not a great people person. I just do not like, I like people, but I don't love it. Right. Like, and I'm more of an introvert. So in that space, it gives me what I need to kind of get us to the next level. Think about those things. Cause my integrator loves people. She loves to like invest in them and make them the best that they're going to be. And you'll find most of the successful businesses that you hear about are not individuals. They're pairs. They're at least pairs. And -hmm. there's an inside person and an outside person. Uh, even my research company, I was more the back end operations guy. And I had a guy who did the sales and we had somebody who was kind of our subject matter expert because then the burden gets shifted. And that's the other sort of myth about entrepreneurship is like you go, oh, now I'm an entrepreneur, which means I need to understand how to send an invoice, read a PL, do a balance sheet, provide support, do development, like all these things. And nobody you don't know that immediately, right? And then regrettably in school, we're just not teaching people that at all, mm-hmm. right? Like that is so far missing from the curriculums that are out there. So long answer to your question is that you've got to partner with somebody. You need to know what your strengths are. So if you're a good strategist, you're a good you know, salesperson, whatever, bring somebody in who can take care of the other piece of it and, and free you. What is the best first use of your time? What should you be focused on every day and give everything else to somebody else? Perfect. Right. And and basically to sum up what you, what I heard you say is the entrepreneur themselves actually become the bottleneck. They want to hold on every single day. They are the problem. And I did a bunch of podcasts and things and entrepreneurs fall in these like rectify versus um, amplify categories. And a lot of entrepreneurs build businesses because they're trying to like prove someone wrong or for something from their past. And that holds them back because they're, once they give that up, then it's more than them. And if you really, really to build an organization, you want to build something that's bigger than you. You got to do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said that you you guys are building your brand to be a legacy brand that extends beyond your personal touch. It's not solely dependent upon you. Right. Right. Yeah. When, when we, our very first business uh, was in the physical therapy lane. Uh, We built that business, sold that business. And one of the things I realized later on, it was a successful business until I moved out. I had built it solely on me and if you want to see how good of a leader you are, see how well the people are, the business is after you leave. leave. It right. depend upon itself. And, and that was a learning lesson for me. And uh, I yeah. love the fact that you're, you're building your business like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, the book E-Myth, Michael Gerber's yeah. E-Myth. So that's a great book for anyone to read to understand what that means. And Traction, what I like about Traction is it's nothing new. Sorry, Gina Wickman, if you're listening, um, but it's a combination of all the best learning in one system because, you know, as an entrepreneur, you start to read the different books and you're like, oh, I'll do that. I'll do that. And it's like, well, you don't do that only. You do that plus, right, to get everything to work. And so Gino did a good job of pulling it all together, except I think the marketing section could use a little help, but whatever. Uh, so uh, to get and getting people aligned, it does make you focus a lot on the negative of your business. So we spend a lot of time talking about the issues and how we solve them and things like that. So we have to build an intentional celebration to like, look back on those milestones and be like, Hey, look at, remember how bad all those things worked before <laughs> they work well now. Right. So so giving yourself a little bit of the, something to look forward to as you head along this journey. Well, you know, if Gino uh, ends up listening, we, we, we know a marketing person that he can yeah. talk to, you know. Right? Yeah, well, what's funny is like if you go through, I don't know, you EO, do you know EOS? 
I'm, so I've been recommended the book too okay. multiple yeah. times. I know aerial view. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, and you can, there are implementers who can help you implement it. So we had an outside implementer for the first period of time. And now we sort of self-implement except for our annual meeting. And so it's got sections about everything. And the marketing is like these three bullets and it's like, but we spent all this time on all this other stuff. There's way more in the marketing section. So probably inserting a marketing book into that process would be a, would be a good thing. So, yeah, yeah that's interesting. And so, so you're in the marketing space there, there's, um, you know, change growth is occurring in every single in industry and society and all of that. I was just kind of curious from your perspective, right? So, so not holding you to this, but this is kind of forecasting. Where do you see marketing going? Or I, I tell you what, more from maybe an advice that you may be giving, um, to maybe a, a small business owner about, Hey, you may need to be aware of this in your marketing. Yeah. So a couple things. Uh, I'm really excited about what's happening in marketing. Yeah. Um, I love change and disruption and I've participated almost every business I've ever had was formed out of some disruption. So the internet, social media, those types of things. So we have artificial intelligence in play right now, which means you can do so much more in your marketing category that you couldn't do before, you know, like, because, and the reason I say that is artificial intelligence is primarily focused on good content cre creation. And I'm going to be really, this is very important. So it's not about creation, it's about curation. Mm -hmm. So just getting something created from an AI engine, you have to understand if it gave you good information, right? So like it's doing the, it's doing the rough draft. So you should be reviewing it and being like, know this, know that, those types of things. So I'm not seeing it as a replacement. It's a replacement for the person who creates the first draft, but then you as the expert need to curate it and make sure it's going to be appropriate and that type of thing. And the reason that that's an important is that if you're a small business owner, you're launching something and you, you're like, oh, I got to get my website up and running. The second you launch your website, Google cares about it that day and never again. Google's job is not to send people to your site to buy things or see your product or whatever. Their job is people are searching for information and knowledge and they're doing the same thing in the AI tools. And so if you're not building educational content around your website to pull people in, it's forgotten because mm -hmm. Google wants to drive people to like useful information. And so that content creation has to go on and on. And so that's something you can lean into from an AI perspective. And then you're either using social media because you need to get in front of someone and they don't know what you are or what you do or SEO because they're searching for your product or service on a pretty regular basis. And Google's making some dramatic changes. So there's a threat. And of course they haven't implemented it yet that that first page of the Google search will become like a Wikipedia entry. And it will be from the most, useful educational resource about what you just searched for. Mm, and so the competitiveness around like SEO and like think about AI reading stuff. And so now you don't even have to go to the website. You just look at what AI tells you. So making sure you're kind of showing up in the content universe of your clients or your customers, however you talk about them becomes more and more important. And it's not just about a one and done website that you love that you spent way too much time working on to make the colors right, whatever you've, you've got to think of your company, like how do you create it like a magazine or a journalist um, to uh, get your story out there so that people are going to pay attention. 
Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I love That's interesting to hear that. And uh, I love that you're talking about AI. Obviously, it's a big thing right now. And there are a lot of entrepreneurs that it seems this is just from my perspective. You got some that are early adopters and are like going all in. Then you've got some, like, I don't know about that. And then uh, a large majority of the people I talk to is like, ah, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to mess with that. That is how the world turns, though. That's how hap- like the Internet's like at smartphones at like, I mean, is that story any different? Is it any different from any other disruption we've ever seen? Like having a computer in your home, this is the exact same story we hear every time. And in the, it's out of the box at this point. There's, we're not putting it back in. It's not going away. You can't avoid it. And those that early adopt and those that learn how to use it are going to be the ones who lean, lean forward. Right. So that's why you don't have Blockbuster anymore. They didn't think streaming was important. They could have bought Netflix at a point. Like there's so many examples of companies that didn't embrace, didn't think about that new technology because they're afraid of it or how's it, whatever. You have to, you have to accept and lean into and learn how to utilize the disruption. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm with you, man. <laughs> I'm with you. You're not going back to the horse and buggy, right? It, no. It's just going to keep improving. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's really cool. Like I really am very, I'm a writer. That's my own. So I'm in a creative company. Right. And so there's, I have a bunch of people who know how to draw and do all these kind of things. Writing is my thing. And so seeing what the AI tools can create, if you know how to put the right prompt in place and how to curate it, it's very, it's really encouraging. Um, It's encouraging for someone who understands the art of writing, but it's not a replacement for learning the art of writing. Right. So like, it's like one of those things you still have to understand, like the best designers learned how to draw with pencil and, you know, ink and that kind of thing. And then they can start to see what's in or out of something. So the fear or the concern would be that someone thinks they're getting good, reliable content, but they don't really have either the subject matter expertise or an eye for what's, what it should be, how it should be crafted. Absolutely. And, and this is more of a personal from for me. Uh, uh, I like to write uh, and those kind of things. How, how are you personally like um, partnering the AI with your, your writing style? So research is a research tool for me in an amazing way. So like if I I'll hear somebody talk about something like we had a client on board a couple months ago and they were using a product that I'd never heard of, like literally never heard of. And that's when I got sold because I went and said, hey, so give me an example of companies that are using this product. And it came back with 10 companies. It told me what they did with the product, how it was utilized. So I knew immediately where it fit, what kind of product it was, what kind of company would go after it. That that would have taken me a day or I would have had to assign someone something to bring me a report back to look at it. So as a, and it's also, it's awake at three o'clock in the morning. So like yeah. if I want to have a conversation and try something or if I'm struggling with, um, a paragraph and I'm like, yeah, you know, like it seems it's too wordy or whatever. It can give me some alternates in that category. So it's like having a never complains. I pay like 20 bucks a month to use chat GPT, right? Like cheapest thing ever. And I have this like resource that I can bounce ideas off of or so it's, I see it as a, it's a little research assistant that's just never tired. So and and I like the fact that you said that because some of the people I've talked to they feel like it's a little bit cheating. Like I'm I'm cheating my my people. But I, why that, are you cheating? Like that's the thing yeah, that's so yeah. crazy to me. So <laughs> here's my analogy, right? 
Do you feel like when you go to the grocery store and you buy the chicken that's already cooked or you buy the chicken in the package that you're cheating? Because the alternative is that you have a farm and you raise the chicken and you go out and kill the chicken. Like this is just a progression. It's just a progression, which is why curation, because when you go to the grocery store, really all you're doing is curating. You're not creating anything. You're curating the ingredients that are available and then you and I, you know, I'm I'm a pretty good cook. I don't know what kind of cook you are. Maybe you're not as good, right? <laughs> we both will take it home and we're going to make a completely different thing. So I don't see it as cheating at all. I think yeah. it's just a natural progression. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what I've done is I've kind of used it kind of like you is it, maybe a sentences that really feel wordy is like, hey, give me some options. Oh, I kind of like that. I like this. And, and I'll still make it my own, right? Yeah. And, um, yeah. Anyway, and you can have the most fun. We did something. We've, I, we, we have had some fun with it. Like we'll give it like crazy, like, Hey, give me an advertisement for a store that sells like completely opposite things. And it just, some of it is just amazing what it comes back with. So it's, it's an inspiration. It's an inspirational piece. Yeah. 100%. Well, uh, Eric, for you, I know you pour out, uh, you write, you you speak, you create, and I'm just kind of curious for you. How do you uh, how do you pour into you? Like, what do you do uh, for your own personal growth? So, <laughs> so my uh, stress reliever is driving. I know that sounds crazy, but like, if I got to think about something or do something, I get in the car and go for a drive. I live here in North Georgia, so we have like beautiful mountains up in the country and things like that. I have an RV, so I travel. And, you know, if there's a week that I don't have as many meetings, I may be on the road, you know, working. So it's a very nice to travel and those kind of things. And then I love food and Atlanta is a great food town. So not much of a golf guy like golf. I'm always really bad at that, you know? Um, so, but yeah, those are, those are my outlets. Those are my little, little, um, you need, when you're doing this kind of work, you need to give yourself like tiny little awards along yeah. the way. And so a Friday night, five o'clock, I shut everything off. We're going to go to dinner. We're going to maybe take a drive. Like you got to do that because it's the only way you can recharge your batteries, you know, and make sure that you're going to be in it for the long run. You can't just continue to work it. And so how do you create those tiny, and for some people it's like, Hey, I, when I get to this milestone, I'm going to buy this little toy or I'm going to do this, whatever, put those things in place. Those are things that you need to reward yourself with along the way. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of keeps you, keeps you going. And I like that. And one of the things teaching leadership is you, you can't be at a hundred percent all day, but there are points in your day that you need to be a hundred percent. And right. what you're talking about, it, it creates that longevity. Right. Yeah. Well, you and I talked like I was coming hot into this just from a meeting. Yeah. And so I have someone who manages my calendar. I don't manage my calendar. And so I get up every day and I do whatever it tells me to do. And that sounds whatever. But if I had to manage my, it would be so much noise trying to figure out how to get somebody on there. And I'm like, okay, I'll do whatever between these hours. Yeah. Just put it on my calendar, make sure I'm never double booked. Like, and I can move from thing to thing. And I use the night before to prep for whatever's going to happen that next day. So trying to, get rid of the things that are sort of noise, right? Mm-hmm. And there's so many tools and ways of doing that nowadays that you should you should really, what's your best first use of your time? Best yeah. first use. 
I love that. And man, being effective and efficient with your time is is huge. Activity is not always accomplishment. And we we like to wear this hard work as a badge of honor, but uh, it doesn't always mean we're productive. I, I love the fact that you are very, very effective and efficient with your time. Uh, one of the things you, you had mentioned is that you you were on a you you hosted a radio show. You do podcasts, and I mean, you've been been in the game as well as an entrepreneur, and you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. I was just kind of curious: are, are there some themes that you see, or some things that have stood out to you? Maybe lessons you've learned along the way uh, from talking to all these entrepreneurs. Yeah, I mean, some I did the I did the radio show for two years and all the podcasts, and so there's some central themes like understanding why you started the business to begin with, uh, and what you want the business to be for you long-term because like some people get that, that honeymoon period of like, Hey, we're going to start a business, but then it's there for a while. So like, how are you going to get out? Cause every single business has an exit. And what does that exit look like? Making sure that you're aligned with the people that you're working with. Uh, my example on that is like, I could say skiing and you think of uh, snow skiing and I think of water skiing. Yeah. And so you and I show up for a trip and we have completely different equipment. Right. So like, you started this business with someone or you've started down a path and you've said, yeah, we're, we're going to go skiing. And you've not fully defined what that means and where that's at and being okay with some healthy conflict. Like you have to have the conflict to move things forward. In fact, if you don't have any conflict, there's probably a problem. You know, you're not really kind of getting to the root of what you need to accomplish and where you're headed. So, you know, consistency, that's the the number one mistake I see specifically in the marketing category that most companies make is they're like, oh, we shared a piece of content once and it didn't work. And I'm like, no, you have to share a piece of content like all the time. And so yeah, I went to the gym once and now I don't look like, you know, some buff, you know, uh, muscle bound guy. It's like, yeah, you went to the gym once, right? So there's a lot of these principles that you learned in, in elementary school and whatever that then you get into entrepreneurship and you're for some reason, and it is the stories that are told. Like it's, you know, you'll see something on CNBC and this person started this business and then they did this thing and now they're selling 30 million units. And so in like 15 seconds, you've heard the story from beginning to end. And for example, like Truett Cathy started Chick-fil-A in 1947 and he didn't do the first franchise until 1967. It was 20 years later, right? So there's 20 years of him working at the one little dwarf house down in near Hateville before this like national brand existed that was well beyond him. So it's not an overnight success. It, it, it requires a fortitude that, and it's also, there's no such thing as work-life balance. <laughs> So it's it's just a lie. So if you're going to start a business, it's like having a two or three year old. Like you don't have a lot of work. You don't have a lot of balance when you got a kid running around the house, right? That doesn't know how to feed itself and has to have its diaper changed and all those kind of things. But your ultimate goal is that that business gets matured. Like it's like I have a presentation I talk about surviving the awkward in between years. So like you have this company and people kind of like the beginning because you're building a logo and you're talking about it and it's all the dreams and the vision. That's kind of like when you get the baby, right? And then you end up with like this gangly teenager that can't drive and talks back to you and is hard and like that. And you got to get them out of that stage and get them off to college. So how do you survive those awkward in-between years? And a lot of companies get stuck in this awkward in-between years. They don't know how to like get their company to the next level, then get out of the day-to-day 
you really have to focus on that because the intent of a company should to be to serve you, not for you to serve it. Mm-hmm. Wow. You, I, I, uh, that is a very powerful analogy you said. And it really just struck me as you're talking about that, um, having the child and maturing. You talked about the um, the awkward teenage years and, and, and in real life, teenagers in that they're, they're trying to fight for identity, right? They're, they're trying to discover who they are. And in your reading right there, that's what you do is you help companies identify their identity and, and, and kind of curious, uh, do you care to dive a little bit deeper into how do you help them discover that identity? I think you just touched on it just a little bit there. But. Well, a lot of tough conversations. So 90% of our portfolio are M&A. So they're companies that have bought other companies. And okay. so we were with one yesterday doing a discovery session. And that is a sensitive place because, you know, this company has built this identity. Maybe their kid, you know, drew the logo. You know, they're really bought into it. And you have to get them boiled down. It's like, so, but yeah, does this represent where you're headed and what you do? And is this going to be appropriate to you moving forward? Like all those kind of things. And so there's a, a great level of vulnerability. And before I owned a marketing company, we went through an identity thing with the company I had. And it had a puzzle piece in the logo and it was yellow. And I told them, hey, when we redo the identity, the thing you have to save is the puzzle piece and the yellow. Like those are the only two things I care about. And so the the firm I was working with was very brave and did what they were supposed to. And our new logo didn't have yellow and it didn't have a puzzle piece in it because it was not the appropriate thing for us to do moving yeah. forward. And so my job in those rooms is to sit with these people. And sometimes they've sold a business that they've owned for 20 or 30 years to another company and like work them through the therapy and the psychology of like, but really, like, is this going to be the best for us moving forward? And how does this stand out, right? Because branding and marketing should never... So So our mission statement is saving the world from boring, broken marketing. Yeah. And we work in B2B, and B2B marketing is either boring or it's broken or it's both. And so we're identifying, you know, well, is that interesting? Like, would anyone pay any attention to it? Because if not, don't do it. Like literally don't do it because there's so much noise that you've got to be able to stand out and people have to like notice your differentiation. So we're really pushing for that um, and hopeful that the companies we work with will listen to us. Um, Sometimes we end up just a notch below what we want, but you know, that marketing firm, that organization you're working with from a brand identity perspective is, is trying to get you the best result. Yeah. That's interesting. Thinking about, um, the maturity level of your organization, your business, does that represent maybe who you were, but where you're going? Yeah. Uh, Aspirational branding should be aspirational. Uh, We do this thing where we'll take all their competitors and put them on a color wheel and see where their colors are. And like, let's pick a color they're not using. Maybe Uh, we take the company's current brand and their customers. And we're like, does your brand look like it would live in the same house as the rest of these? So if these are the customers you're going after, does your brand stand to that brand, right? Mm-hmm. So there's some of that. Like branding is all about. So my my analogy in this category is so like there's there's Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. And you're either a Starbucks person or you're a Dunkin' Donuts person. You might not be either, but if you are, you're in one camp or the other. Yeah. And my business partner for a very long time, he and I were the same age, we made the same money, worked for the same company. So demographically, we're the exact same person. I'm a Starbucks guy through and through, and he never walked into Starbucks. He was always Dunkin' Donuts, right? And it was, but it was branding because they both sell coffee and pastries and stuff. Like that's it. So what 
what do you want your brand to attract? Who is the customer you want to attract and who do you want to repel? Because it's just as important to repel that non-ideal client because they'll use all your money, all your time, all your resources and still not be happy. That's right. They'll be the ones complaining on you, right? Yeah. Give you those two-star reviews. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Eric, you have added a a ton of value. You really have. And I, I want to, if if somebody is listening, maybe they've got an organization that matches with, with what you guys do and they want to get in touch with you and like, hey, Eric, we really need your help. We could use your team's help. How would, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? So LinkedIn is my new, I used to, I was, I was big on Twitter back in the day. I've got like 30 something thousand followers, but not so much on Twitter anymore. So LinkedIn is where you can find me. I'm all over LinkedIn. Um, I talk to everybody there, connections, direct messages, all those kind of things. Uh, so Eric Holtzclaw, you should be able to find me. And then you can also Eric at LigerPartners.com is my email address. And of course you can find us at LigerPartners.com. Nice. And then you have a podcast as well. Can you, can you share the name of that again? Called The Claw. So since I'm Eric Holtzclaw, we kind of built off the back end of my name and it works well with Liger since Ligers have claws too. Uh, it is the marketing podcast for C-suite executives. So we uh, talk about marketing topics and, you know, from an agency perspective, like how do you run an agency effectively? What do C-suite executives need to know when choosing one? How do they think about marketing? Because marketing has been a very, very um, disrupted category for years and will continue to be for the next couple of years. So it's very hard to keep up with it. You've got to have someone who kind of knows what's happening in all the places to make that happen. So, yeah. Um, one last question for you. We we do have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen, but there are some other ones who are uh, kind of. I mean, they they're leaders. They run larger organizations. So for Liger, what's what's the best customer? What what who could you? Yeah, serve we most? we we are. So we have clients in two categories. So we have uh, companies that are typically run by the person who founded the company. And they have hit some kind of a barrier, right? Okay. Like they can't get themselves to the next level. So they've been at a revenue level for a period of time and they can't pop over it. And they sometimes identify that as a sales problem, but it's often a marketing problem, right? Yeah. Like we've been at this revenue plateau for a year or two and we can't get over it. And it may be about their message, the way they're going to market. They're trying to heavy lift the sales. So that's a good one for us. Um, those are privately held businesses typically, but they're again, profitable, but not progressing. Yeah. Got a few years of experience, kind of, I know some customers, things like that. And then we work with enterprise clients as well. And those enterprise clients are typically going through M and a activities. So they call us, my favorite client calls me and says, we're very, very messy. We just no. bought another company. We can't figure out how to bring the brands together. Our marketing technology stack is a hot mess. You know, I don't even know if you want to work with us. And we're like, no, that we love those things. Mm -hmm. And that's why we call ourselves a firm because most agencies won't. So a marketing agency wants you to give them a clean creative brief and then they give you back a deliverable. We get in there and get, get down and dirty with our clients and figure out what's going on. Nice. I like it. Well, Eric, thank you again for adding value. Thank you for coming on and I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. I know Eric has added value to you and I'll make sure to put in the show notes uh, the way to get in touch with him. And if Eric has said something that stood out to you, make sure to comment and we'll pass that along uh, to him and make sure you like, subscribe, all those kind of things. So you can stay up to date with uh, any episodes of Principles with Corey and Logan. 
You guys have an awesome day and God bless. Thanks so much for spending your time with us today. As you go about your day, remember to ask yourself as a parent, child, sibling, business owner, customer, boss, teammate, would you recommend yourself, audit yourself, and change your life? Hey guys, and if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, take a moment, please subscribe, give us a rate and review on your listening platform. And hey, we value your feedback and it helps others find us. Are you ready for this?